0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer Distributors. For more information, visit unionbeerdist.com.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network,
3: Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. This is a special show. It's December 5th, 2017. We'll be talking about farmhouse breweries, and I've got some friends coming from Portland, Oregon. Uh, wolves and people, and uh, but they're on their way. And right now, our other guest, Josh Bernstein, one of my favorite beer writers, is in the house. Oh, hey. Hey, man. We're going to talk a little bit about, about what he's been writing about and what's going on in, in the beer scene in, in the area. And a big shout out to Union Bear Distributors, supplier of world-class ales and lagers, and follow us at at beer underscore sessions. There's a nice Instagram photo of uh, wolves and people when they first came here two years ago with, with Travel Portland at Hanging Out at McSorley. So uh, that's cool. So Josh, great to see you, man. I was really proud of your recent article in the Times. Uh, it was about brews and and, and coffee. Yeah, that was two, pretty cool. two kinds
4: of buzzes. <laughs> Yeah, the idea was that, uh, so I was traveling out in uh, Flint, Michigan about about three months ago doing another story, and I was at a brewery called Tenacity, I noticed they just opened up a, a roastery and a coffee shop in there, and I was like, that's a really interesting thing. So folks could roll up there at uh, you know 7 a.m., get a donut made down the road, get a great coffee made with beans roasted on site. And so then the more I started thinking about that, I started looking around the country, And I noticed this was not an outlier. There was sort of a movement. Uh, Modern Times in San Diego is really pushing it forward. Canning cold brew, having a coffee program in the brew house. Uh, You're watching... Like, who? (laughs) And then... uh, I'm trying to... You know, I wrote this story. As a writer, you write stories and you totally forget exactly what you've written two weeks later. But then, uh, you know, Hoop Hearted in Columbus is doing that as well. And what what I think this moment happens about is you have these tap rooms and then you get people in there at noon, one, two, three o'clock, and that's great. But what happens in this space? At eight AM, So it's a way to get people in the breweries earlier in the day. And it's a way that you've got this canning line you spend a ton of money on. And then if you can coffee, you have a way to sort of maximize your money on there too. And there's really a big crossover between the uh, coffee world and the beer world. If you like a good cup of coffee, chances are you like a good cup of beer. I mean, you like flavor. That's where you're kind of hunting out.
3: Great, man. Well, uh, Josh, I really appreciate the work you're doing, uh, as always, and uh, check it out. The great New York Times article that Josh just wrote. But uh, everyone else is in the room now, so we're kind of going to start the show all over I was, was again. a filler. It's yeah. Just filler. <laughs> I was like, just talk. Hey, so, um, you guys, let's go around. So, everyone introduce themselves. We're starting over. So Okay. Get.
4: Oh, hey. I'm Josh <laughs> Brunchy. <laughs> I, just, I just
5: filled up the last three minutes of radio silence as Jimmy stared at me. All right. Well done. I'm Christian DiBenedetti. Uh, We just jumped out of a cab and uh, been visiting the city for the last few days. And And great. I I was just
3: saying that the last time I saw you, you were out with the Travel Portland crew with uh, Commons and Gigantic and Occidental Brewing. And we uh, did a show and we did a photo at McSorley's, which is on Instagram right now. That was pretty great. Yeah. I'm so proud of you with Wolves and People. And we're going to talk a lot about that and Farmhouse Breweries on the show today, and you brought along one of your new buddies.
6: That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I'm Evan Watson of Plan B Farm Brewery, right? and uh, it turns out there are a lot of people in the city. You got here, Jimmy. Well, it took us a little bit to come in, but thanks for covering, Josh. Yeah, I do what I do, say the right. words. <laughs>
3: well, welcome. You know, welcome back, uh, Christian and, and Evan too. Um, you know, Christian, I know you've been a journalist, and that's how how I knew you, and Josh knows you. But I really want to talk more about wolves and people, the farmhouse aspect. Of your brewery, so okay. yeah. tell us about. It. I know it's a family farm. You you've got grow like hazelnuts.
5: Yeah. yeah. So uh, Wolves and People is a farmhouse brewery based on the on the farm where I grew up, which is uh, outside of Portland, Oregon, 21 miles from town. And uh, after a um, a lot of years of just talking about it and dreaming about it, I went home. I had lived in New York for nine years, moved out in the end of uh, 2009 to uh, start getting organized, and then 2016 in May we opened up the brewery. And uh, really small still. Um, we're out in the wine country, and a lot of people come to visit us who are also visiting wineries. And uh, we focus on Saison, sour beers, wood-aged beers, and a lot, of, uh, a lot of beers that, you know, fall under that farmhouse kind of, uh, you know, banner, if you will. And we grow a lot of things that go in the beer, so from Dolberts to Figs and plums and uh, this and that. And so I'm here this week to introduce beer to New York. We shipped out a whole pallet of beer, and uh, so in the next uh, four weeks, there's going to be some beer going on draft and in bottle shops.
4: So does it feel like you've kind of come full circle? That you know you left town as a beer writer, you come back as a brewer.
5: Yeah, I mean it, it's kind of uh, it's kind of surreal. And a way to go. I went into the Blind Tiger, which is a a place I love and spent a lot of time in over the years, and uh, to go in there and have some. Um, to to have some beer there, and uh, it's just like it's oh that that's gonna be a little bit of a gusher. That's (laughs) that's not too big of a problem. Um, yeah, it feels good though. Um, I learned a lot about beer here in the city, you know, and uh, great beer friends, yeah, and uh, beer friends in the industry, and a lot of people who supported me over the years, and then helped me get going as a beer writer so it's nice to be back and you know uh, there's so much cool stuff going on here i've been here for two years and it's like a different beer scene almost entirely. just a quick
3: mention of the beers I'm, I'm drinking what's on tap at roberta's right now the melvin ipa they always have a great selection of uh beer on on draft and i'm enjoying that and
4: we're drinking the rockaway brewing a uh, hellas great it's good
3: and then, uh, Evan, so you, know, yeah. so you guys are kind of in the category of farmhouse breweries. Yeah. You guys, it's funny, because I think that Christian knows everybody in New York, but you, you haven't been here for, what, five years or something?
5: I uh, left in the end of 2009, so I'm yeah. getting old. So you, so you
6: guys met actually through, what, some conference? Yes, we did, Jimmy. The National Honey Board hosted uh, they generally host a, a conference for for brewers I just wanted to hear you say that man <laughs> Say that again please The National Honey Board that part Yeah oh, okay uh, I was going to make a joke that Josh better watch out and uh, he better stay in the city or going to come back a brewer Oh
4: god is that a good thing I think it's a no, good thing No it's right? a
6: terrible thing It's a terrible thing yeah. No it's a good thing uh, yeah we met in in Austin Texas uh, generally the National Honey Board uh, provides uh, a, a conference for for brewers and and baker's in St Louis is that right christian uh, yeah th- that sounds right <laughs> <laughs> but they uh, I guess they had befriended the folks at jester King brewery, another one of our iconic uh, farmhouse breweries in in the United States, and uh, we met and hit it off um, Christian uh, was uh, spinning yarns uh, around the bar we had some cocktails and <laughs> And talked about how with a single stroke of the pen, he took down the entire Orval empire.
5: Uh, That's a real stretch. That is definitely (laughs) a stretch. I probably, uh, you know, I might have embellished a little bit. No, uh,
6: there's a great story about, uh, Christian's obviously a writer before, and uh, and we're both... One of your first articles, right? It was. Fans of Orval and... uh, and it, it was just a funny well,
3: show. let's go to the visual you guys look like farmers now Christian you left kind of a fancy New York writer and now you both have like the flannel plaid shirt they're only wearing the flannel things. Jimmy yeah. you both
6: I, have like it's, country it's twang it was yep. a sweaty cab ride over here I'll tell you that with all the flannel in the back
5: yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah well um, what can I say like it's been beautiful since I've been here and not, not cold and rainy, which is nice. Um, yeah, I mean, being here and being back and then seeing the beer scene and going around, I've been to so many cool spots in the last two days, and the beer lists are pretty much unrecognizable to me um, from Newbury. We just paused at Threes for a hot second, and before that, I was visiting, you know, like Proletariat and all, you know, all these great new, um, as is, all these other beer bars in town that are doing neat stuff. So it's been great to be back, like, super, super fun. Great.
3: Let's go back. So Wolves and People, I mean, Josh, a lot of questions for you. We're going to be talking for a long time. But, um, you know, Wolves and People is your family farm. It sounds very old world to me. I I picture like another idyllic time where, you know, you went off out into the world and you went back home. And uh, tell us about that journey and and when when you decided that that was what you're going to do. Have a... Farmhouse Brewery on your family farm.
5: Yeah, I mean, uh, gosh, I mean, I really always wanted to to do this. And um, from my travels in Belgium back uh, after college, I was lucky to like, spend some time in Europe. And, you know, visiting cool old breweries, Lambic Breweries, the Wild Ale Breweries that are so revered today. And I, I, I wanted to, you know, take my you know very very basic home brewing skills someday and do my own brewery but i hadn't really put two and two together about you know a farmhouse uh actually using the barn for example on our on our farm as the place for the brewery i kind of i had imagined some more modern building or something and then after touring around in belgium and realizing wait we have an old barn and maybe that's perfect so but then it was 20 years uh of time before i could get it really uh get it open and it took a long time a lot of organized uh, organization raising money obviously transitioning from being uh working travel and beer rider to running brewery. It a brewery and was frankly a really hard transition you know but uh i had a lot of support and back in 2000 so about 12 13 uh, found an old brew house uh, the old heater allen system they're a great lager brewery and they were expanding so managed to get a get a down payment together, and, and then just start getting organized. And then I've been really lucky to work with some excellent people. Uh, great brewers taught me everything I know now. And uh, a, a year ago, we opened, a, a year and a half ago, uh, with about eight or nine beers. And since then, we've uh, released about 70, 75 beers, about um, half a dozen, in, or about a dozen, excuse me, in package, in bottles and cans. And uh, I have one full-time assistant. And uh, and that's it. So we're we're tiny, but um, trying to grow a little bit and uh, experiment and have fun.
4: You know, opening up, uh, opening up on your family property has all these sort of romantic connotations. You're continuing this generational, generational thrust, but opening up on an old property has its own challenges. So how what was it like turning the family farmstead into a sort of functioning brewery?
5: Yeah, I mean, I never knew how much I would have to learn from weird YouTube videos about like <laughs> how to deal with septic and you know all the all the kind of hack construction that we had to do. I mean, the barn is leaning over. It was built in 1912, and it's on the National Historic Registry as well. So you can't really change the appearance, but uh, we had to go inside and kind of, from the inside out, um, re, you know, upgrade the interior the si- to, to reach the seismic code so it's safe to work in and have customers in. And that was a, an education, and it, you know, it was. It's really like the pushing the rock up the hill thing because. One day we would learn. Uh, you know, it seemed like we would finish some project, some challenge, and then learn learn what else is still out there. And so it's kind of still ongoing. The barn feels like kind of like a member of our family now, and we're we're working on it, and you know, getting it up to speed and opening up new little parts of it and, and improving it as we go.
4: Nice. And Evan, you guys also took over, and it wasn't a family property. But you took over an old facility in Poughkeepsie and turned that into sort of your, You've done your done dream your too. Yeah, I have. We interview, I interviewed you years ago. You try to totally oh, forget. that's right. Yeah,
6: yeah. yeah. When you used to interview porn stars. I did. You that, know, that, you that, was, that was like 01. <laughs> See, I've done, you done my but own you homework had, as
3: well. But you did take over. It was an old farm. Yes,
6: sir. It stem. was a uh, um, uh, the original farming population, uh, family farm, 500 acres total. Not our farm. Our petition is uh, 25 acres. But the Underhill family uh, had five large farms, and they fed the the queen city, the, of Poughkeepsie, New York, and as um, development grew and, and urban sprawled and, and cul-de-sacs moved in, strangely, this little part of uh, in the back of Poughkeepsie was left alone, and we were able to, to get a piece of property for very little money, but then uh, had to put in all infrastructure, all kind of electric, and uh, tore down a, a house from the early 1800s that had a tree growing through it. Uh, the five bedroom prize of the of the farm, but uh, we had to take it down, and we, we've done a lot of work, uh, mainly renovating a barn from the mid eighteen hundreds. It's three stories. And uh, in the when, <laughs> when there was a fire in the house, the last resident had moved out to the barn. Uh, he was a crazy uh, <laughs> Irishman off the boat named John who used to run into town naked. Our current mayor, Rob, uh, was a police officer at the time. The first time he came up to see the brewery, he's like, Oh, yeah, we used to drop off Crazy John <laughs> nude in the back of my police car into this barn. So when are you going to make the Crazy John beer? <laughs> uh, I don't know. All I, of her beers. Well,
3: How about this? So, so is there some... Something about making beer on a farm that's different than making beer in
6: a city. Oh, certainly, yeah.
5: Yeah, well, I mean... As he said, I mean the infrastructure thing is a challenge. You get over that. Start making beer. You got to have a system that works for you and place to put all the you know the boring stuff, the wastewater, and all those things. But the thing that I love most about our situation is the, the closeness that we have to the stuff we're growing on the farm and then what we can get locally. So, uh, for example, there's a, a farmer up the road. Uh, her place is called Sunshower. Hill and um, someone who actually came and played uh, with my uh, brothers and I when we were little kids. And you know, we don't remember each other, but she she you know came as a kid, and uh, she came to the brewery one day and said, "Hey, you know, I, I used to come here. Now I uh, have my own little organic farm up the hill, and here's what I have. Let me let me give you a list of the things that I have, and uh, a lot of things that we don't grow. And now we keep in close touch, and she'll just call and say, "Hey, you know what? I've got you know four flats of uh, golden raspberries." Uh, Do you want to take a look? And then let's just bring them down, you know, and it's always beautiful. So we just incorporate
6: that as soon as we possibly can. And are some of those things in this beer? I taste like a lavender, or herbaceous, uh, lemon quality?
5: You know, this beer actually is a, it's a Saison aged on gin barrels. Oh. Um, and uh, so yeah. that's It's the herbs, yeah. It's definitely the... the um botanicals? The botanicals, yeah. What's the name through. of the beer, Christian? Uh, so we... We, our, our, we uh, don't have names. Yeah, well, no, it does. Um, this beer we call Ginstinctive. Um, Instinctive Travels is our... It was our first saison that we uh, brought out when we first opened, and we've we've made it in multiple iterations. And then uh, one day we parked uh, a full batch in a bunch of gin barrels from Ransom Distillery, which is a, a distillery near near us. Uh, an incredible operation that's been around for a long time.
4: Their Old Tom is terrific.
5: Yeah, Old Tom Gin is uh, something everyone should seek out if they're interested so um it's about it's been about a year, in Oak um this one has a funny label on it because it was sort of labeled for uh some of our seller society backers or crowdfunding backers, um but we're bringing the beer back in a you know in a in a larger or a normal batch
3: and then Evan, for you uh, you know again, making beer on a farm
6: oh it's uh you know like people say, uh, oh, I love your Instagram account <laughs> uh, and I, and I have like my buddy Derek, who you've had on the podcast. Dillinger is actually a great Ken photographer, Falls, yeah. yeah, and a great uh, a great photographer, great writer, just like you guys. Well, you know, something like you guys. But uh, <laughs> he uh, he he takes actual phot- photographer, uh, you know, uh, photographs of, of his farm with re- a real, you know, DSL. Or whatever. I don't know anyone
4: Not just not just a flip cam. Yeah. So I'm just using
6: my phone. But what happens is. Uh, like I just, it's not, it's not stainless steel and cement. So like, I just take a picture of what I'm existing in constantly, which is perpetually inspirational. Yeah. And uh, and I, you know, in having access to the ingredients and and just like taking a break from from mashing in and just walking through my field of winter rye that's coming up really great right now. I was like, I don't know, it's 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 relaxing. Um, it's it's inspirational from ingredient base but also in in, you know in in terms of um a sense of place and and feeling yeah that's
3: awesome great start i'm glad you guys made it in time for the show great start to this we'll be back in a few minutes on beer sessions radio all right
1: In 1996, Sheehan Family Companies, formerly L. Knife Son, acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn. Union Beer has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. It has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Brooklyn and parts of Queens through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, Staten Island, and Long Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education at all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the seven counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit unionbeerdist.com.
3: Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, last night we had a great Heritage Radio Network first annual fundraiser at a Brooklyn Botanical Garden. Thanks to everybody. It was really great. turnout. I want to give a big shout out to one of our co-hosts and buddies, Chris Kuzme of Fement About It. His fifth Hammer Brewery in Queens is open, and he served a honey... Uh, a brown ale that was really great and sessionable. So that's an intro to uh, Josh. Wanted to ask a question about hives and honey. Yeah, uh, with these guys. I think with Christian,
4: Christian talks about like all the uh, all the fruit botanicals, everything available to him, and that's sort of his terroir, what he can incorporate into his beer. So Evan, for you, what do you
6: kind of take from Poughkeepsie and kind of make your own? Uh, well, on top of growing quite a lot this year, um, we we also are working with the farm poughkeepsie farm project which is a part of the vassar brothers vassar college uh farms and the vassar brothers matthew vassar they they built that city my daughter was born in vassar hospital and they were brewers which is an interesting uh, connection as well but they have this beautiful farm because it's um it's supported by the community but also has some internal funding and government funding it's just it's, uh, ideal place, and and we go, and we CSA members there, and um, we do we use a lot of their ingredients. I mean, we're currently I'm I'm only brewing beers with uh, malt uh, grain grown from Ben Dobson at Stonehouse Farms uh, near Red Hook, New York. He's he's done a TED talk about carbon sequestration, and he's one of our greatest organic farmers in the country. And so we just—I use uh, his um, uh, six-row barley for all the beers now. Um, it's it's floor malted by uh, Dennis Nessel at, at Germantown Beer Farms, and then uh, all, all the adjuncts are also stuff his, you don't his, know. Christian. His his grains. Well, the fact
5: uh, thing- I'm just—I'm just sitting here in awe of what Evan does at Plan B because I mean, <laughs> that to the level of uh, commitment it takes to get floor malted barley locally. And then I'm. I hope you'll tell the story about about your yeast too, because that's just so awesome. That's one of the big things we like bonded over is talking about uh, yeast and his whole process. So I mean, and the beers are so outstanding. So well, you've um, got
4: Sebastian, right?
5: Yeah, I mean that's a plum yeast and it's uh slow and lazy and idiosyncratic. Is idiosy- that what's f- idiosyncratic? Fermenting these, Christian? Uh, there is a Sebastian in here but the main the main situation in these two beers we call amigos and it's a house a house sour culture all you you know all the Brett, all the all the uh all the dregs together it's, that a, It's it's fizzy like a soda.
3: Is is there is that because of the the gin barrels or that's
5: Uh good question, you know, it's I've been It's been bopping around in my backpack for uh, about three hours as I made my way across town into Brooklyn, so it's part of it. But, um, yeah, bottle-conditioned. A slow voyage. Yeah, a little bit of a voyage. And uh, the other beer is a a darker Saison. But, you know, I think it expresses a lot of, um, you know, kind of uh, vibrancy with big carbonation, big volumes of CO2, and that comes from bottle-conditioned. And
3: let's just go back to, I think, where Josh was going and how you guys met, talking about hives and... and, and Honey. Yeah, I was just curious, like how yeah.
5: the you know
4: Evan, what you do is you uniquely, you know, isolate yeast strains from honey, and I guess yeah. what are the challenges of that, and like how do these operate differently or
6: in the same way as maybe like an ale or lager yeast would and, operate? And
3: what do you do? I mean, you just put honey in your beer. I mean, tell us, uh, are you making
6: wild yeast? It's not too far from that. I'm pretty rudimentary. Um, I, I'm. I'm. A, well, my wife Emily is is our beekeeper, and she. She goes in and extracts in the, in the spring and in the fall. And we take a um, just a spoonful uh, of essentially of comb and honey and, and propolis and all the things that are attached to a frame. And we add that to uh, unfermented uh, beer and to wort and a and a stir plate and an Erlenmeyer flask. So instead of um, streaking and plating, which is a very scientific Approach. What we're doing is this kind of very natural, encouraging of a, um, what we call a mixed culture of both bacteria, wild yeast, uh, certainly certain strands of Saccharomyces, and then from that process, we're pitching that after we cool ship. Every one of our beers cooling in a natural process, which also adds a uh, microflora. And then it will, um, our the beers will start out in a, a Hudson Valley oak horny tank, an open vessel for primary fermentation, where we take that yeast throughout the year. So then, uh, throughout the year, there's this this uh, evolution, the symphonic kind of movement between a um, fight of different yeasts and bacteria. So not only are the beers uh, seasonal fermentation from a fermentation perspective, but even uh batch to batch there there are some differences as the year, as the seasons change.
3: And then I, I remember when I was with you a year and a half ago, you actually had your cool ship and you you had a way of putting it outside. And you have orchards there. And we you have, do. You have we, so much going on. I mean, you have more in your farm than you're telling us. I mean, you've got oh, wait, apple I'm trees! I'm holding out and, on you. <laughs> oh yeah. We can go back and listen to "On the Road." <laughs> 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 We've got goats. <laughs> <laughs> <It's
6: very laughs> <good>. Utterly <laughs> delightful. Oh, nailed it. Yeah. The, um, uh, did, you
4: yeah. Meet,
3: did you meet him, Josh?
4: I've not the met goats. my my. Uh, Sister in law does goat yoga, which is a thing now. Oh, I know they get jump Wait, on. She really st- does that. Yeah, she does. Like she teaches yoga around goats. It's like
6: yeah, they jump. They like to jump on the backs of people, and they love. It's like a thing.
4: <laughs> Swear to God, it's a 21st century, man. Goat <laughs> yoga. Yeah. Like, what what I think is truly interesting. You guys have both kind of come. You know, you've come from separate backgrounds. You know, Christian did the writing, did books, did the book tour thing. Evan, you have a big music background as well, and you guys both came to sort of this. Same place right now. Do you guys feel like you made the right decision? Is it a decision that (laughs) you're happy? I mean, like, because, you know, music industry, not easy to make a buck right now. Journalism... Not easy to make a buck. Do so you guys feel like he got out at the right time? And oh, he's cratering it's so the world? easy
5: to make a buck in breweries, right, oh uh, my Evan? God. Oh, it's so it, easy. Or is it
6: just exchanging? That's, I guess <laughs> like one yeah, hardship. My the Lamborghini next. was stuck on the FDR. That's why you almost hit me. Yeah,
5: <laughs> yeah I mean, no, look, the running a brewery is no joke. It's it's yeah. hard, hard work, and and especially when you add in a hundred or two hundred year old barn. In Evan's case, yeah, uh, you are literally. Uh, and I I use the metaphor often. But it's like, you know, chasing uh, uh, or the Sisyphus sort of, you know, pushing the stone uphill, it's going to roll back over you or you're riding the wave. Some days it feels good. Other days, the waves are crashing on you and tumbling you. And you're, uh, you know, that's just the nature of the industry now. It's very competitive. We were the 169th brewery in Oregon to open Mm up. And, uh, you know, so... um, it's it's an exciting beer scene, but it's always changing. We don't take anything for granted, and uh, but you know, yeah, it's it's an amazing change. I love Let's
3: it. Let's talk about the next beer we're drinking.
5: Oh, okay. Uh, next beer is a dark saison. Um, we really love this beer. Our um, brewer Zach brewed this about a year ago, a uh, year and a half ago, actually, quite a long time ago. He was an intern who started uh, with us before we opened. And um, so it's a more bitter Saison, some rye, um, you know, a bit, a bit of a darker, almost, you know, not really beer to guard, but you know, a, a, a bigger profile of Saison, uh, parked in barrels for quite a long time, and then bottle condition. And uh, this beer really took a long time to come around. The bottle conditioning was very, very slow, like three months uh, and of course it doesn't uh you know help that the temperatures in our barn are range from you know 50 degrees to 100 degrees so it's it's really uh tricky to bottle condition in there but um this is a beer that just i i brought because uh we don't serve it outside of the brewery and i wanted to share it with you guys it's not uh something that's coming out or We're touched no thank you yes <laughs> good, good that was the idea so
3: i mean how do you feel about you know taking your time with beer? I, i'm one show I'm going to have is with Anthony Accardi from Transmitter, and I remember sitting with him a year and a half ago, and he really thinks that beard needs more time. The whole process, and I think there's the there's the pressure to, to turn out beer really fast.
6: Well, it's, yeah, certain that's a uh, perspective that's counterintuitive to the. The you know the wave of, of beer currently uh, about pushing out beer in fact designing that in a way where the consumer is is waiting outside of the door of the packaging line. But people waited outside that farm stand for you guys too. I suppose yeah yeah. That yeah. was a long time ago. Though. People <laughs> don't care anymore. <laughs> but that that's the thing. You're only, you're they only... were just waiting for my one juicy IPA. They were like, he's gonna do one. No. And be, I mean, that's the thing—you're only a darling once. I mean, it's hard to that's
4: always be the new kid on the block. But,
3: but still, in terms of making the beer, like, like I, I like this beer. I'm I'm impressed that it's a year later. Um, I've had a lot of ciders like that that have spent time in, in barrels without being too too big or onerous. Um, let's really talk about that. You know, it's like there's pressure to turn out your beer and turn it fast. But even even a, a good pills or lager does take more time in a tank.
5: Yeah, I mean, I I would say that most of our beers are are at the very earliest uh, three to five weeks. I mean, it's uh, but it's not uncommon to see beers turning around in seven to ten days, fourteen days in the beer scene these days. And uh, and to my mind, there's so much uh, sort of over aggressive hopping going on, and uh, you know. Uh, I, I think that those those beers are scratching a certain itch right now, and they they can be delicious. Like I will drink one. I, I will drink several sometimes. They're they're great. They can be great, but uh, there are, there's a lot of waste that goes on as well. Like when you hop a beer that heavy and crank it out in seven or ten days, you're 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 losing one, two, three barrels at a time just being soaked up by hops. And to me, that's just kind of like I, I, I don't know. I don't want to see that much beer, you know, kind of go down the drain for the sake of a mm-hmm. of a sort of you know, alcoholic, uh, you know, like hop bomb that is uh, really just here today, gone tomorrow. And But, but you know, to each his own. I don't judge anyone for drinking beers that are hoppy, hazy, triple hop, double IPA, whatever. Go for it, you know. Yep. Go for it. It's great. Are but you sure? You no, know, it's not what. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how
4: you really feel. Yeah, that's how I really feel. No, I mean, but I, I think whatever. I think the thing for me is that I, I love them as well. But oftentimes these days I'm getting ones that are so kind of green, so intense right off the bat that it's kind of, hard to drink. You almost have to let them age in your house for another week to kind of get to that right point right now. But there's a sort of desire right now for freshness. But I mean, there's a point where freshness is not always what you want to seek. You want maybe like another couple days this beer could really use
3: to get that sort of optimal point. Yeah, And that's why I was looking at your website today, Wolves and People, uh, Christian. That's a good plug, Jimmy. And I was inspired <laughs> by you know the, the tagline, ancient beers in modern times. And you know, when I read about 19th century, you know, British brewing, which at the time was the height of world class brewing, there was the market for it. There wasn't weren't the pressures of like uh, wars and depressions. They were the best beers were higher alcohol but balanced with a lot of malt in them, Mm -hmm. and they also took time. These weren't beers that were were knocked out for just workers to drink, you know. So let let's talk more about that. Is ancient beers for modern times? But does that mean that the better beers take time?
5: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think Evan would agree um but you know for us mixed culture fermentation is kind of our bailiwick we use a lot of wild yeast uh, uh, some conventional yeast a lot of yeast that we haven't even figured out yet um but those are going to be slower you know it's it's not like throwing in uh, you know the most aggressive clean sort of automatic yeast uh, at all times, sometimes we do beers like that. We we enjoy turning out a beer that's more about malt or more about hops or some other ingredient than it is about yeast. But the most interesting thing for me personally and for our for our team is uh, these beers that uh, that do take longer, that transform over time. And then, particularly with bottle conditioning, uh, one of our best known beers, Instinctive Travels I mentioned, is uh, we always uh, dry uh, dry hop it differently and use a different uh, Brett combination, switch it up every time. That beer. The current edition of it that we're down to a few cases but it, you know it's been in the bottle since last march but it's just finally hitting a place where we're like oh god this beer has arrived now uh, way later than was expected. We thought it would be hitting its prime you know, three months ago. The hops are gone, the brett's coming, and, and I think there's a kind of sweet spot where hops can fade and brett comes up and there's a sort of like nexus so
3: that you do have really to nice. You have to wait on the beer. But you aging, have
5: to
4: wait. The aging is such a... Sorry, I'm going to go ahead. Because, okay, okay. no, yeah, aging is so kind of tough to figure out because even unless you're having these variables and keeping these bottles in your basement, you can know you have it at 60 degrees only forever in a day. Right, right. Like my mom and dad save this bottle of wine for my sister got married from the 70s and we opened it up and it was originally like a very supposed to age was like a green german wine ended up being sort of intensely like ruby red and almost port like and we're like well we Uh, missed the mark on that there's some there's there's there things are not worth saving and i think we all don't really know and you need to you need to almost buy a bunch of things or even as brewers keep testing and figuring out what's the right time
6: I would yeah. say the uh, the most beautiful thing about bottle bottle conditioning is that you're starting out a at a place with a lot of oxygen I- intentionally because in order for refermentation to be healthy and uh, it is constantly consuming oxygen whereas a ba- a bottle that's packaged with that's already been pr- uh, primed with CO2 from injection meaning that it's uh, just a, a beer that is, has been force carbonated. Is always going to deplete. Um, it's going to get more oxygen as it ages, whereas bottle-conditioned beers will consume that oxygen. And oxygen is the biggest enemy of of aging beers. Um, so uh, these beers actually, you know, their foaminess is, is saving them and preserving them. And and that, that could be a rule of thumb. And I mean, there's many different ways of tasting beer and storing beer but if a beer is bottle conditioned you can hang on to it for much longer and, ter- and, and, and uh, versus a, a, a beer that's been um, you know I don't know injected by CO2 we know. know even even to go
4: back to sort of commercially produced beers that um I always go by, people are like, oh, what should I buy from the middle of nowhere? But Sierra Nevada has such low levels, dissolved oxygen in all their beers, and they bottle condition everything. And that beer is almost guaranteed beautiful no matter what. So even doing bottle conditioning for mass-produced stuff can work out in a big way.
3: Great. Hey, we'll take another short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right.
4: Thank
1: go in for understanding when you are away can't use my heart to think away the time in my room i will await you and so soon i will relate
5: you and tie your finger right on up to mine
3: Sweet
2: hey like what you hear heritage radio network has plenty more with fresh programming every week we've got something for everyone trying to start your own food business concerned about where your food comes from looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party find our shows on itunes or stitcher or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter hey welcome back to beer sessions radio on the heritage radio
3: hey wolves and people are in new york city christian Great. Hey. You brought your buddy, Farmhouse Buddy.
6: We've got bees Evan. and wolves and, and, and Josh Bernstein. So <laughs> and 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 Bernstein Bears.
3: <laughs> bear. I love that I love that series. Especially <laughs> bear and And they're but really Christian yes. now and they're Honey, what's a honey? There's a honey board that, that you guys met through. Yeah. I want you guys to ask questions every there. Like the at the honey board, and you guys are farmhouse <laughs> brewers. You guys are like figuring out sure. how you guys make better beer. It's a sticky situation, Jimmy.
6: Oh my it, word.
5: The Sicky situation. Yeah. Nice. Uh, well, we, you know, I will say this. Like, <laughs> thank you, John. We want to bring a lot of honey into our situation, and we're so we're talking to a local beekeeper or two that want to park some hives at our place. And the thing that's really cool about honey in Oregon is, you know, there are many kinds of honey, wild and and uh, indigenous honeys, clover, uh, blackberry honeys are everywhere. But the thing in Oregon that grows is called meadow foam meadow Foam, do you remember tasting that, yeah, it, was at that? Crazy. it was like a crazy I don't know how to put it into words it was almost like yeah. a, a tropical uh suite of aromas going on and uh, everyone at the tasting that we attended yeah, like were kind of stuff. nodding in agreement mm-hmm. like this is blowing our minds right now and lo and behold mud foam is the Oregon you know is an Oregon thing or Pacific Northwest thing so uh, I'm trying to track down meadow growers we're gonna plant it at our in our field we have a Field that's mainly full full of daffodils. I'm going to try to interplant some with some meadowfoam and uh, and see what happens. You know there are bees already uh, in the area, but getting hive going, getting some meadow foam going will be will be a goal. I let's just clarify. So when
3: we're talking about honey and beer. Like last night, Fifth Hammer, Chris Kuzme's beer. It was a honey brown ale. It's not sweet. What what does the honey do? I mean, it can do what?
6: Well, you know, there are a lot of ways to use honey. Obviously, I'm I'm culturing. Yeast from honey Which is, is a Not a very common way But uh, Honey is a sugar And it's a relatively Simple sugar um, It's easy Fermentable So I, I mean People hear the word Honey And they think Sweet You think The
3: golden taste Of honey And that screws up Your, your conception Of honey What's that types That's, pipes? that's the, the golden It's the Cheerio song man. Oh <laughs> I'm well trying it, to sing
6: With Evan one Well day. your voice Was so golden And honey Like <laughs> Golden taste Of honey Nailed it Uh Oops. Yeah. We don't need to That's remember. my little honey. <laughs> yeah. We uh yeah, I mean people use it generally as as um an adjunct for fermentation. And and, and it will ferment and we looked you remember uh, watching those fascinating <laughs> charts about like sugars uh, sh- and and how much is gen- is fermentable, and how much maltose, how much sucrose, how much fructose is. and honey and it, you know, honey uh works as a drying agent much like many people used to use now the only sugar used in an ipa is apparently lactose sugar but people used to use actual uh refined sugar to dry out ipas to to build out alcohol and and keep out of the way of a malt base to accentuate hops that's what happens in a west coast ipa but the um Honey it can be used in a similar way, and, and it, it has a has a flavor. When fermented out, it's more like a mead, more like um, um, more floral and medicinal than it is like sweet and cloying to me. Um, and we do because we harvest honey. We do a certain amount of beers that both are fermented with a yeast derived from honey and have a certain amount of honey from our hives. Honey's just
3: a it's a special property. It's it's like it's not like a refined sugar. It's a natural product. Yeah. It's good for you. There's magic to it's it. It's the
6: only thing that insects make that I love to eat <laughs> that I put in my coffee.
5: Oh, uh, you don't enjoy the fruit flies of fall? No. Well, yeah. Or yeah. a cockroach spit. <laughs> tried that Ooh, one. Oh,
6: that's <laughs> uh.
5: remember to I'm telling
4: you a story about how we spent uh Three months when we were twenty-two drinking an espresso machine filled with cockroaches, what? and then we didn't realize that <laughs> the cockroaches like, okay. had snuck into the uh, oh espresso God. machine. Didn't water
3: thing. make a beer like that? It was like the digested.
4: <laughs> One day that was Civic Cat. Civic which, Cat which, yeah right, right. That different animal different. was digested. You're getting your you're getting your orifices confused, <laughs> Jimmy. Oh my God, Man. I don't even know what's happening with these sound effects. Yeah, it's bad, it's like we I'm laughing.
6: Oh, I know.
3: <laughs> but we also know, we, I mean, this is weird, but we know that in our flour, that there's there's some amount of insects in all in all food Hubs. production and everything. So, but you guys, yeah. when you're doing your farmhouse, the open yes. the, the open fermentations, the cool sure. ships. So, there is an interaction with insects. It's not yeah. like this pure, sterile environment, but that's good. Like, we need the insects.
6: Well, yeah. I mean, the the any agriculture is is predicated on the existence of of insects that can that can pollinate right there at one point in time on this earth there was there weren't pollinators so there weren't there wasn't a diversity of plant life i assume right it was just like mushrooms <laughs> just mycelia but, uh, but yeah, the existence of pollinators, which aren't just bees, but bees do a great job and they also make honey, which is amazing. Um, but that's what creates all kinds of uh, flora. And, and inside of, of that hive, you're, they're carrying pollen, which, which carries microflora. And there's a great tradition of natural mead making, just diluting honey. Arguably, the first uh, fermented beverage was a was a hive in a tree that was flooded, and it just naturally fermented. We talked about that, I the believe. Bear I Reaches. love that. Yeah. <laughs> the Bear Reaches. Although
3: Pete Brown, his new book, Miracle Brew... He argues that actually a long time ago people figured out how to somehow mash or or malt grain.
6: Certainly, but I, we're I guess we were saying I'm just saying that because I know we were saying with that <laughs> the trunk uh, uh, anecdote with a bear or something it was pre you know pre hominid. I always
3: thought that it's like the origin story of alcohol. I always thought that too. They would tell you know the or the the deer would be eating a, a fermented apple you know off the floor sure well
5: I love the Michael Pollan uh, line which is uh, to to summarize it very uh, imperfectly I'm sure but that we're all kind of working for the yeast you know that yeast is really in charge of uh, uh, of the world and all of its processes and we're just sort of like furthering yeasts uh, uh, survival through baking and brewing. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, we're just the ones working. They're the ancient single cell organism that's going to be here in millions of years. So it's
4: pollinators and yeasts. Fer- I mean, fermentation, I mean, you talk about everything. We, you know, kimchi, we talk about beer, you talk about whatever, sake. I mean, it's all yeast driving it all. It's what
6: kept us alive. It's what kept civilizations alive is fermenting their foods and preserving foods. So with you guys, there's no bacteria. bacteria
5: that can live in honey though, right? And That's why a, no, a, a jar can't. of honey can live, like, it can be stable. It's forever.
6: antibacterial, it's antimicrobial but Antim- it doesn't necessarily mean when diluted. So what happens is ah, right. in high concentration just like salt, a high concentration of sugar will make everything static, which doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means that it can't grow. Right, okay. so through the dilution of that honey, uh, you you can get to a point in which there's still these organisms, uh, microorganisms that come from honey that can be bacteria that can survive and thrive within within honey that are from a particular bee or whatever that can grow. And I mean, we're picking up bacteria obviously from the cool ship and the, and, and the oak, everything. I don't I ferment everything in oak, so I mean, there's uh, there's bacteria, but in theory the, from that, I've never plated it because I have this. I'm just a romantic. Well, let's, let's catch up a minute. Oh, I like that.
3: Evan, on your beer. So yes, we sir. have, what, first
6: the e- barm e- beer. Yeah, we poured the barm beer. Oh, and this is going to be a talking point for the both of us. I'm sorry, Josh. I feel like you've been etched down. This this okay,
4: okay. No, I don't have any honey, even though I am the bee's knees. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's had their finger on the button waiting uh, for me to say like a
6: word. As soon as <laughs> David's
3: professional engineer.
6: Um, Thank you, David. The- uh, the other beers I brought, I brought our summer beer, which that might be a pretty active one. Um, we, did a, we have a CSA similar uh, to Christian's, um, and this year we did adjuncts just from the farm that represented the farm at a particular time. So the darker beer I poured is our winter beer that was a uh, uh, dark farmhouse beer, slightly tart with uh, chocolate mint we grew and, and rye barrels taste from the a, mint, yeah. a, a friend. And um, it's kind of like an Andy's Mint, that one. And this one that you guys are pouring is our summer beer, which uh, we grew black uh, blacktail watermelons and apple and strawberry mint. I don't know if that's <laughs> that good. I don't know. I haven't had it forever. I hope that's good. That's good. But it, they're representative of, of of the different seasons on the farm. We did four different seasons. In autumn, we grew this heirloom maize, bloody ble- butcher, and blue claridge, and reeds, yellow dent, and used the uh, Long Island cheese pumpkins that we grew and toasted coriander that we grew.
4: What's that cheese pumpkin?
6: It sounds delicious. <laughs> it's, you know, a bread bowl from Panera? Uh-huh. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's just a pumpkin that that uh, looks like a cheese wheel on the exterior. It has kind of a waxy coating, mm-hmm. and it's like that orange yellow. And it, it's it's the, formed the great in
3: New York pumpkin that the flesh is what pumpkin pie was about. It kind of got
6: yeah because it's it's, it's, it's misshapen, the, so it
3: doesn't work well with commodity production. Doesn't roll down our conveyor belt. Yeah, there's it, some uh, seed uh, savers on Long Island that are
6: it's it's a, it promoting. grew amazingly, and it, and we still have some. And it was—it's uh, a delicious pumpkin. It looks it's like a big giant wheel of cheese I've ever eaten. So what, what Evan's kind of talking about is that in the I think the Hudson Valley,
4: you have got this sort of like this number of breweries are really embracing the local bounty and bringing sort of this idea of um, agrarian brewing back to New York State. So Christian, you know what's happening in Oregon as well? What what type of things are you seeing out there? Do you find sort of I see in New York State you have a lot of like-minded people together that are really. Um, coalescing because you have, you know, sloop brewing, you've got, uh, you know, Suarez, people are really sort of thinking about how New York State can be embodied in their beer. So do you see things like that happening around you in Oregon?
5: Yeah, that's a good question. I would say that um, for farmhouse brewing, you know, from our perspective, things are, you know, we're really just kind of standing on the shoulders of, of giants because of Logsdon, uh you know, a, an inter- international reputation for farmhouse brewing. Uh, started in Hood River and then Agrarian down uh, near Eugene, Great Brewery. We're only the third farmhouse brewery that I can really think of uh, that is on an active and working farm. But what you have now, uh, like um, in many places, is a move towards micro-maltings, towards Oregon-grown grains, Um, Oregon State University uh, kind of getting behind a lot of uh, uh, seed culture and seed, uh, you know, uh, growing programs. And uh, we're not quite there yet. I mean, there's a long way to go. We don't have a a maltings in the Willamette Valley yet. We would love to see that. I'm very... uh, jealous of all the maltings that are going on uh, up in Washington and New York, other parts of the country where there are people working on it. Uh, Our maltings uh, and uh, the local barley that we're getting is from Eastern Oregon and uh, we're not able to use it full time yet, but it's, there's some really good stuff coming out and I I would say the conversation in Oregon is all over the map and we have so many breweries, so many trends uh, moving at once. Portland obviously driving the scene with almost a hundred breweries in the city um, but things are changing there as well. So I would say we're just really glad to be part of a, a kind of farm to, you know, fermenter movement that is, um, you know, really focused on local, as local as possible when we can and uh, and, and pushing those relationships and developing those relationships.
4: So do you say do you guys see yourself as more part of the broader conversation of farmhouse brewing in America and around the world or more about sort of indicative of uh, Oregon and like how you can take this and that
5: well oh gosh i mean i i don't know i mean i i really feel like we're still a small and local brewery the fact we're sending beer out to the east coast is very exciting for us and means that we're we're the first time we're selling beer outside of the state of oregon or really outside of the willamette valley so and again that's just because i love uh love new york city
3: let's talk about distributing locally okay so who do you sell to in your area you, t- you mentioned small restaurants
5: so yeah restaurants one of the things we have coming up this year is uh, we a lot of collaborations with local chefs. I would personally I love food my wife loves food where we grew up in uh, food loving families and Portland's food scene is a, is world class it's it's an incredible situation right now uh, and going for many, many years so you know James beard was from Portland and uh, so it's no surprise that the scene there is amazing so one, one of the things I've been working on is like these collaborations with local chefs uh, for twenty eighteen which are Uh, a bunch of uh, different beers where the chef is really going to sort of nudge us in in a certain direction. So one of the chefs I love working with is a guy named Peter Cho. His restaurant, Hanok, is uh, absolutely blowing up and uh, known across the country now. He's a Korean family and he and his wife and kids live above the restaurant and he and I I I gave him some beer for an event he liked it so much we started talking about a collaboration and now we want to make a a sort of toasted rice lager of some kind uh, which is not really a farmhouse style beer but it's going to be uh, you know something that we can present hopefully to you know to his guests and then we started thinking about what else can we do and you know we have these kind of kooky you know experiments in mind but beyond that we're working with other chefs that are uh, doing incredible work in Portland to, you know, build the scene. And I, so I envision a lot of work with restaurants as well. I, I just think beer is a great food pairing.
3: And you said something about being the third handle.
5: Yeah, well, I mean, I'd rather be... That was a great be, quote, but I don't... Well, what I meant is that, you know, there are so many amazing beer bars in the world, right? You can go in, beer bars, bottle shops, there's thousands of choices, an overwhelming choice. But for me personally, I guess I would rather be the, the third handle in a, in a nice little restaurant than the 1,000th beer in a bottle shop, which may or may not get the attention that we hope it deserves.
3: Cheers to that. And that's but, yeah, the kind of place great. I like to go. What about you, Evan, for... Places that are you selling in New York now too? I mean, yeah, we for-
6: do our our barn beer, our little barn beer we had uh, at first, and uh, through Union and CBG, we we distribute that down the city and some in Massachusetts as well. Uh, I just think it's like a good calling card. I mean, we both Christian and I are, are dependent on people coming to the space because that's the experience, um, and if you make good beer like he does and hopefully like we do, it, it uh, you know it gets people to, to make the track up from the city and, and come up to the farm and sit by the fire and, and wash their hair the next morning in the shower and smell a little bit of that fire and remember that. So it, it just helps us get, uh, you know, it magnetizes people to to the farm and to the brewery, uh, and it functions as that more more than it functions in any capacity as a uh, money as a revenue stream we're trying to we're definitely um, on-site consumption first as, as a place because that's what we're building this experience not just a uh, not just a beer do you,
4: do you think it helps to being so close to population centers like you're close to New York City where you've got eight and a half million 19 million metro 60 million tourists a year Christian being so close to Portland Oregon. And do you find that this sort of proximity to giant metropolitan areas really helps make this business vision of people wanting to get out on the weekend, do something different, and go up there?
5: Of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll never forget our second weekend when uh, I had I'd made some calls to the local wine tour operators. To be like, you know can't really deal with the long like. You know, giant buses full of wine tourists. We can't have anyone intoxicated. You know, we're trying to keep things un- under wrapped. Our second weekend, someone goes, "You better go outside, dude." And uh, I walk out there, and there was a pink Humvee, uh, you know, limo like was a forty foot- carton. Was yeah, he? no. <laughs> Does he have a pink Humvee? I'm just kidding. No. It was a, uh, but it was like a pink Humvee limousine full full of people just spilling out of the, you know. And so like, okay. That, that's some. That's a reality of being in wine country and being close to a major city, where like there are things happening. There's tourism happening. You know, people fly helicopters to wineries now in the Oregon wine country. That's not our scene. You know, we're we're not doing that. But I think that it does help to go back to what Josh said: is we definitely draw from a Portland, from the Portland market. But our bread and butter and our local fans are are what keeps the lights on, and we appreciate that.
3: Well, let's go through just review the beers that we we've tasted so that we can keep track. So. Evan, just
4: again. I brought a, I brought a barn beer. Barn, I, it's like the national honey board for me.
2: <laughs> barn beer. Barn beer. <laughs> barn beer. Yeah,
5: that sounds like sound like Sam. Uh, what's his name? Sam uh, uh, Waters. Yeah, yeah, Waterson. Waterson. Is that right? Yeah, or, yeah. No, that's
6: the guy from. No, I, okay. What were the beers you brought, Christian? <laughs> barn and, beer. <laughs> and this one, though. What's this one? <laughs> oh, and we brought our winter and our. And yeah. I so this
3: winter, winter. So this talking about. I wanted to say this. Okay. Talking about this kind of dark beer there's the hint of whatever mint it it reminds me of a very belgian beer years ago um it's a belgian san diego collaboration had this kind of taste where it was dark base that's a compliment winter mint mint (laughs) gum while drinking it's It's an andy's mint this This is is right up this is the kind of winter beer that i would like to drink again it's the plan b what so i i'm
6: i like this beer i don't like all my beers or most of them I'm very critical, but I don't uh, either, man. Yeah, (laughs) nailed it. Give me some with fruit floating
3: in it. How about that?
6: There you go. Um, But the this winter beer. I kind of like, but I feel like you'd have to present it as like your Swiss great-grandmother would bring it as some kind of like, this isn't no, beer. It's
3: like the La Mise, it's it's okay, Green Flash and St. Okay. Whatever. Every year they do a collaboration. We Going can, way back, classic Belgians making beer in America right. came out like this, and that's a compliment to you. So thank you. Jeff. This could yeah, be man.
5: like,
6: you know, stored in a cask around the St. Bernard's That's neck, what I was I think, saying. Like, like it's not beer. They're just like, oh, what do you make it from? They're like, we squeeze dirt and and mint together. <laughs> and, and then Christian for you
3: to just re- review the beers that you brought.
6: Yeah,
5: so we brought a uh Instinctive Travel Saison aged in Ransom gin barrel. So that beer is going to come to life in February. We hope we're we're packaging it next week and uh the bottle we we had here is a bit of a pilot for that. Um the other beer was a dark saison that we uh anecdotally just call VP4, but it is um you know, it's about a a, a sort of almost like a Flanders red uh, style nice. if you will that kind of like you know a little tannic a little woody red it's a little bitter and a lot sour um the something we really enjoy and a beer that i as i was saying before uh shows just how long sometimes you have to wait for a beer you know like three months of bottle of conditioning and we're just going to wait and until it's ready
6: will these be in new york uh no york? G- well
5: ginsinctive yep uh that will uh, so i hope good. make it out here i love that beer and then josh it. on the way
3: in it. we were we were joking about you know what what you'd recommend for Thanksgiving or a holiday dinner. But I think a couple of these these two darker winter beers would I would take them over many other beers.
6: Would you, Jimmy? I would. Would you take <laughs> them over? Well, I don't know. Namely name. oh, that's that green flash beer you <laughs> was a, talking about. Of <laughs> pills or, you know.
3: I, I do think I one thing I love about this show, especially with the holidays coming, and people talk about pairings, you know, for food, there's not a lot of real uh, good pairings for beer in the holidays. And, yeah, I think
4: any beer goes well with the holidays. Good God! Yeah,
3: but you want you want to say that you want to <laughs> say pills and IPA that everyone's drinking. But what mm-hmm. I'm saying is th- these two kind of darker, sure. you know, fall winter styles that have some you know life to them. These are the kind of beers that I would drink at my holiday. But table. I think
4: I think with the holidays you're we talking about and going back to the fact that you have more time to contemplate and just sit back. And these are beers you need in your cup. You have a good few seconds with them. You think about them. And you're not just like ordering one after the other. That's why these beers work well in the holidays. It's not really about flavor profiles. Yeah. I think I'm really against saying, this beer is only good in the summer, and this beer is only good in the winter. It's really, it's really when you want to drink this beer, drink, situation. drink yeah. this beer. And so I think these beers really... If you've got time, you can think about them, and that's what's really important about these beers because not every beer should be sort of like, you know, 15 minutes, pint down, glass over, glass well, also
3: because once, you know, you're with certain relatives and you you're, you learn to hold your tongue. <laughs> so yeah. you better have can, a beer can like this to home. keep... Can you hold your yeah. tongue? I've really... It's been a long... Long process, but I need a beer like this for my Christmas table. When your relatives start you. talking about creationism,
4: you're just going to break out the bourbon. Oh, boy. Uh,
3: maybe much more about how bad Jimmy is and kind of behavior I have at the table. But. <laughs> oh, well,
5: the thing I love about this beer, Evan, is like it tastes like Fernet, and I sure, a little man. bit, if I may say, um, Fernet is kind of my go-to aperitif or you know digestif beer you know, or drink. You know, is after that big English. Dinner. Yeah, that no, no it was not. <laughs> DJ Steve drink after after a e big bl- meal. Beef.
3: And last thing, so Christian, you're here in New York. Evan, a couple places in New York that you really liked going to for our listeners.
5: Oh, well, yeah, I love, you know, the Blind Tiger. Um, you know, we dropped uh, some samples off at Proletariat, and we're, we're getting samples over to a lot of great beer bars, so as is. You mentioned and, as is um, on the west side, yeah. And uh, dropped a sample at 11 Madison Park just to see what happens. You know, maybe they'll like it, maybe they won't. But, um, you know, we're we're trying to be in a few good spots where people really care about beer, and we visited Threes today. That was super cool. I hadn't been out there before on so yeah, it's nice to be back. I think we're you know we don't make very much beer, so if we can, if we can be in five or six great New York spots, that would be real. And odd. you guys
3: have time to stay and have a pizza with me at Roberta's?
5: I think we you could. You,
3: all right, Josh. Anything else you want to say? Any- don't you have a book coming you out? Yeah, uh, Jimmy did things- talk about
4: my book at all,
3: but it's okay.
4: <laughs> I know. know, I got a new book called Homebrew World, where basically the world doesn't need another book about how to homebrew. But what I really love is the people, passion, creativity, struggle, and the book is sort of based upon these homebrew tours I've done in New York City, where you go inside people's kitchens, you go into their backyards, go into their basements and you're drinking beer with them. So what I did was it's a series of profiles of brewers from a, a colonel in the Thai army trying to create a homebrew revolution in Thailand, the people in Poland using smoked herring, the people in Patagonia using indigenous hops. And it's really about the people and how they're kind of creating their own revolution and their own scenes all around the world right now. So I just went to the printer last week, and it's uh, going
3: to be dropping in April. So awesome. awesome. And then we'll have you back awesome. on and talk more about it.
4: Yes, we'll yeah. talk about that, Jimmy. And
3: then how <laughs> many? And then we can talk about all your friends who started out with your homebrew tours who are now pro brewers too. That's oh, you know. big shout out. So again, uh, you brought in Rockaway Brewing beer to start, and he started as a home brewer. Who's the brewer there now?
4: Uh, Ray Gerard's head brewer there, and uh, Zavi is sort of the uh, second in command, and they're both great New York City homebrewers. and I think. It's like a coda about this. Like, New York City doesn't have a lot of people that came from elsewhere to make their mark. What well, we have going in New York City and New York State is brewers that grew up here in the homebrew scene, and they decide to take a risk and make their city a better place to drink. And you see that around New York City, Hudson Valley, Long Island, that it's all homegrown here, and very little sort of um, mercenaries with five million bucks that are just like, oh, I'm going to make beer people want to buy
3: wow man this has been a great show big thanks to Josh Bernstein Christian Benedetti, Evan Watson for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network thanks to our sponsor Union Beer Distributor supplier of world class ales and lagers and a big shout out everybody's been a supporter of me and uh, Jimmy's number 43 we're figuring things out for, for next year but keep listening to the show we got some great holiday shows coming up The next two weeks. And uh, big shout out to our producer, Justin Kennedy, engineer, David Tadashore. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! Woo! Buddies! Yeah. Cool.
2: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network.